It's actually a perfect metaphor, spending the, the week untangling the knots. So here we are, coming to the end of our retreat. Gone are all the moments in mid-retreat, which the mind was screaming, get me out of here, I want to leave now. And in come the mind moments, but it went by so fast. It's ending already. Am I ready? In the Vishuddhi Maga, uh, which was composed about eight centuries after the Buddha's death, um, it, it, it talked about three personality types. Some of you may be familiar with these types or heard us uh, kind of casually referring to them, humorously referring to them. So there's the greedy type, the aversive type, and the deluded type. <clears throat> and each type has its neurotic quality, so to speak, its unskillful side, and each type has its awakened side. So the greedy type, and I'll just put a little aside here, I know this type well. At the end of the retreat, my, an greedy type is characterized by craving and optimism. So a greedy type might, might have thoughts like, my life is really going to be different after this retreat. Really different. All those things that were bothering me, gone. Not only are they, they gone, the bad habits are gone, and the ones that aren't gone, I'm going to change them. It's, it's going to happen, and I'm, meanwhile, I'm going to clean out all my messes. I'm going to um, sit two hours a day and practice yoga. Um, I'm going to be fully equanimous. Um, I'm going to apologize to everybody that I think that I've harmed. And, you know, when I, the next time, you know, I always go for that bigger piece of cake when I split it in half, when I'm sharing it, I'm going to take the smaller side the next time. <laughs> and furthermore, I can't wait to drive home so I can share all this with the person I'm driving home with. And, of course, all my family and friends at home, too. I can't wait to tell them how, how the Dharma is going to be just so wonderful for everybody, including them. The aversive type, which is characterized by dislike, aversion. Uh, Arena's spoken a lot about the aversion in um, describing um, thing, her own struggles uh, in a very humorous way. We, you know, we have to be humorous or else we'll, we'll go out of our minds. Um, so aversive type might say something like, well, yeah, everything's all well and good on retreat, but I have to go home. You know, I have to go home to that messy relationship or the job or the lack of the job or never mind any of that. I have to go home with my own mind. And furthermore, I have to pack. And it's... <laughs> You know, it's going to be raining out, and I have to depend on so-and-so for a ride, and they're always late. And, you know, look at this mind already. A lot of good this retreat has done. <laughs> and a delusional type, which is characterized by confusion and doubt, might say, what retreat? <laughs> I mean, I know I was here... And, and a few days ago, I was even in the, this depth of insight, samadhi. But I wonder, really, have I really gotten what I needed? I mean, have I really gotten anything at all? And, you know, maybe I really should try those other practices, you know, that other retreat. Maybe that's really what's right for me. Um, and by the way, where are the keys to my car? 
So if it's not obvious to you where you might land, um, don't drive yourself crazy trying to think about it. Um, every one of these types has the others within them, as I'm sure you can hear in listening to it. Um, and the good news is they each have their awakened quality. So for a greed type, the awakened quality, meaning the flip side of the coin um, of the greed type, is faith. So it might be something like this. I've practiced in this way for seven days. I've had some understanding and insight. I can rely on this. I can rely on it. It's there for me to access. An aversive type, uh, the awakened quality an aversive type, is discerning wisdom. The conditions on this retreat were very conducive to cultivating concentration, open-heartedness, but chances are some of my habits may show themselves again. And it will be helpful to have a means to work with them. And on another level, I understand that things are always changing. The conditions of this retreat are simply just a part of that truth of life, that there's pleasure and pain, there's loss and gain, there's fame and disrepute, and I will meet those off the, tree, off the cushion as well as I have on retreat. The awakened quality in a deluded type is equanimity. So that reflection might be, well, while I don't know what will happen for me as I leave this retreat, the mind has the understanding that things do change. They're not always pleasant. I don't have to take the ups and downs as the complete truth of my experience. As a matter of fact, they're not the truth of my experience at all. They're just the ups and downs. I can't find my keys in this moment, but that's okay. Or maybe I really wanted to have a talk with that person, either that teacher or someone who was on the retreat, and they've left already. I can feel the sadness and the loss of that. And I can be with that. There's a calm abiding in that state of equanimity. So given that we may relate to all three, how can I approach the end of this retreat and my transition home with skillfulness, with wisdom, with care for myself and care for others? So that's essentially what I'd like to talk tonight about. We all know that saying, wherever you go, there you are. Pithy? Very true. It's actually the good news, because in fact, it's the only news. This is from Tojen. This slowly drifting cloud is pitiful, what dream walkers men become. Awakened, I hear the one true thing, black rain on the roof of Fukakusa Temple. So we understand, really, not from anything anyone has told us, but just looking into our own minds and hearts, that this moment is the only one that we have. And the really good news, even better than just the good news, is that we can wake up right here, right now. It's actually the only time that we can wake up, right now.
So whether we're in a lovely, beautiful, peaceful meditation center, or whether we're looking into the eye of someone we love dearly, or whether we're waiting in five o'clock rush hour traffic, or whether we're holding the hand of someone who is dear to us who is dying, or whether we're caught in a mind storm of self-hatred, we can wake up to, it's just like this. It's just like this. We could take time for the bell. That reminds me of a story. When Irina, um, I know she won't mind if I tell this story. <laughs> when she lived in um, Northampton, she had one of those clocks that every 15 minutes the bell rang. Was it, it was every 15 minutes. I, I got one of those for our wedding and we, we sent it back. <laughs> so every 15 minutes the bell would ring and Irina would stop the conversation, whatever you, no matter how much you were in that conversation, whether it was she or the person who was speaking, she said, okay, there's the bell. And you're in Irina's house, so you had to stop and just listen to the bell and watch your mind. <laughs> so whether it was like, isn't that lovely, or oh, the bell, you know, it really invited a stopping. You know, a, a moment to really interrupt that mind flow. It's a lovely opportunity. We can remember over and over and over again that things are just as they are. They're beautiful, they're sublime, they're wretched, they're distasteful. Once when I was on a long retreat with Thich Nhat Hanh, um, it was at this college in Vermont. And so I guess college, some of the college was still in session. Yeah, some of the college was still in session. And he, um, he, he's, he's a creature of ritual. And um, it's so beautiful. Uh, and so he was, he, he, the walking meditation he does, he gets everybody lined up. And really, it's like a procession. And he leads it. And of course, he's in his brown robes and walks very slowly. And so he was starting this procession out of one hall that we were in. And he was, you know, just, just the, it was him, the monks and nuns behind him, and then all of us walking. It was just beautiful. And the sun was out. It was gorgeous. And there was a group of these college students, um, some young men, and they were laughing and drinking beer. And, and I looked at them and I, they, had, they didn't even see him. They just didn't even notice him. They didn't notice, you know, in my mind, this holy man. And, you know, part of me was like, oh, you know, it's, oh, it's so painful. And then, oh, so beautiful. It's so beautiful because right there, it's life as it is. It's the truth of life, you know, and there's no retreat that's going to hide us from it. That's the beauty in a way, that the beauty of the retreat is that we open into the aversive mind states that come. 
And we all know, we all know from our retreat what that's like when you're curled up in a ball in your bed or you just, you know, I hate this, how can I get out of it? Look at everyone else, they're practicing so beautifully. You know, it's what's wrong with me? And you might think, okay, those are the conditions on a retreat, but they're the conditions of our lives. How easy it is to compare ourselves to others. How easy it is to get lost in, in, in not understanding, in the delusion of that separation. And it's okay. You know, it's okay. We're going to get lost. We're going to get lost. We're here to tell you. We're all here to say we're going to get lost. Anyone here not going to get lost? You know, so what? You know, then we open to getting lost. I mean, we can only be mindful when we're mindful. Again, that's the good news. What is there to worry about? We can only wake up when we wake up. Better than a thousand meaningless statements is one meaningful word, which having been heard, brings peace. Better than a thousand meaningless verses is one meaningful line of verse, which having been heard, brings peace. Better than reciting a hundred meaningless verses is one line of Dharma, which having been heard, brings peace. Better than one hundred years lived with an unsettled mind, devoid of virtue, is one day lived, virtuous and absorbed in meditation. Better than 100 years lived with an unsettled mind, devoid of insight, is one day lived with insight and absorbed in meditation. Better than 100 years lived lazily and lacking in effort, is one day lived with vigor and exertion. Better than 100 years lived without seeing the arising and passing of things, is one day lived seeing they're arising and passing. Can I meet life with mindfulness? with understanding its texture, its quality, its humanness, holding it in a space of compassion, all the things we've been practicing this week. Kindness and understanding for our human condition. We can understand this. We can know it. And we can know that this experience is not permanent, that we're all subject to the changes in life, the vulnerability of life. I was thinking about that phrase, you know, I'm sure we all know that one finger pointed outward and three pointed in. And I think that's like a useful, it's a useful tool, if you will, um, when we find ourselves in an aversion towards others. And it's it's not a tool to blame ourselves, but actually just to come inward and notice what's happening. What's happening right now? So someone was, um, I think it was Mirror that was speaking to 
um, how helpful it was not just noting what's happening, but actually coming in and investigating closer. You know, what's it feel like? How is this? So we can understand that it's impermanent, but we don't have to be afraid of what our circumstance is. We can do our best to beat it, even if it's like a little bit. You know, even if it's like a little bit on the edge. Uh, and you were talking about that today. You know, the, the, the fear of um, going, you know, having, going for surgery or, or having to face something that's unknown. Sometimes we can just touch it for a little bit. And that's okay. That's okay. It's more than okay. It's actually skillful. Um, a teacher that Arena and I share, and uh, some of you in this room as well, Michelle McDonald, you know, her, her line is, sometimes you just have to head for the hills. And, you know, that's really, there can be real wisdom in that when it gets too much and too overwhelming, and we just can't, we can't bear. You know, we can widen up, widen up in our own attention. Can I just, can this, even this feeling in my body, can I just let it have space? You know, or sometimes it's, you know, uh, like Arena was saying, you sing songs to yourself, or, um, or sometimes, you know, what I'll do with that is, I'll I'll just try to remember someone that I think would enjoy hearing from me. You know, they might be in a difficult place, or they might not, but I just that I know they would appreciate, uh, you know, a phone call or an email, and just making that gesture, you know, takes me out of the. Oh, this is miserable. You know, it's just remembering. We're not alone. And we all have different ways that, that can help us with that. There isn't, that's the beauty of the Buddha's teachings. He, the beauty is he offered so much, um, so many different ways we can awaken and, and open up to our experience, open up to life. You know, we can misunderstand his teachings and, and to the point of, okay, that's just thought. It's thought passing. It's feeling passing. You know, it's all impermanent. You know, you notice the tone of my voice. There's a version in it. And I think one of the things that Arena has so beautifully offered us, you know, every single day is, honey, I'm there for you. I can't say it in her exquisite <laughs> accent, but um, you know what I mean. And the, and the nice thing is when you, when you sit with a teacher, you can, you can hear that voice in your head, you know, when you leave. I mean, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have access to that. Even if you think you don't, even if you're afraid, you won't. It's not true. It comes. You know, if you had told me 10 years ago, you are going to remember so many things that your teachers have said to you, and you'll find yourself sitting in front of a group of people and repeating them, I would have said, I, how am I going to remember that? i got to write it down. I gotta, you, how am I going to remember it? You know? It's just, you know, what's, what's meant to, to be remembered will be remembered. And as Christina Feldman used to say, it, I lose insights all the time. <laughs> so that's also reassuring too, isn't it? There's nothing to hold on to. Antonio Machado. 
Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error that I had a beehive here inside my heart, and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey for my old failures. Can we meet ourselves with that understanding, with that equanimity, with that kindness? <laughs> yeah, there's a little like, I don't know. Maybe we can't always. Maybe we can't always. Maybe we're in, curled up in a ball, saying, I have completely failed my practice. I have failed my retreat. I'm, I feel humiliated. I feel ashamed. You know, I can't even, never mind, you know, talk to someone else. I can't, you know, I can't tell my teacher this. My teacher will be disappointed with me. Just make room for projecting onto a teacher a lot. Because <laughs> it happens. You know, we, 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 we put our teachers, and maybe you don't, but, you know, there's, for a long time I would put my teacher on pedestals, and I needed them to be there. But let me tell you, the deepest part of my practice is when they fell off. And they would. And they do. And we do. We do. And that's the gift. Oh, hello, human being. Just like me. Understanding our interconnectedness is also a wonderful place of reflection. And again, it can come in times when we need it most. Uh, recently, this, at the beginning of uh, this year, it's actually kind of funny because it was New Year's Day, and I never make, never, never say never. I don't usually make New Year's resolutions. And I was with um, my spouse and a, and a good friend, and... Um, they were walking, and I decided I'm going to put on some cross-country skis. I've been cross-country skiing for like 30 years. And, but the snow was, you know, I don't know if any of you have been in New England snow, but um, if it isn't really fresh and then it's cold out, it freezes over. So you know, it can get kind of crusty. And the, the, so there was a little layer of nice snow, and underneath it was crusty. And anyway, I... Um, I somehow just said to both of them at the beginning of this venture into the woods that, you know, I'm going to make a resolve um, to get really fit this year. And at the end of that uh, (laughs) two-hour journey through um, beautiful woods, and after falling several times, maybe four or five, fell down, get up. The last fall, however... um, I did get up, but not so easily, and I ended up um, injuring my knee. Um, ended up straining or spraining the MCL or whatever. I didn't know. I didn't know if I tore anything or not. Anyway, but I, I was I was limping around for um, until recently. Actually, I've been dealing with pain in my knee. Um, but about a week after that, I was driving back from um, dropping my partner off at the airport. And it was just about a 45-minute drive. And my, my knee was really... And I was like, I was determined to do that drive. And my knee was kind of hurting. And so 
And I thought, okay, can I get home or not? Anyway, I decided to stop in, in um, a town that I work in outside of the town that I live in. And anyway, to cut to the chase, um, I ended up, my knee, and I ended up in this spasm. Some of you probably are familiar with it, but I'd never had one before where my whole leg went into spasm and it was like, and like I couldn't move it at all. I mean, it was, I was, so I was in a parking lot parked and I couldn't move my leg and I started to sweat and go into a, a panic. I had never experienced something like that before and I just, it, I just was really scared. My mind just got really scared. And, you know, I rolled down the window so I wouldn't pass out. And um, thank goodness for cell phones, huh? So um, I had my cell phone, and I was supposed to go to New York to be, meet with some colleagues who to plan a, a retreat we were doing. And it was a really important meeting. So I had to call them to say, you know, can you come to my house? <laughs> um, but by the time I got them, I was sort of in a, quite a panic. And my... Uh, my friend Janice, who's not a Buddhist meditator, um, she's at a deep spiritual practice, and she just said, you know, it's going to change. And it really, it was illuminating, because in that moment, I, I didn't believe it. I didn't even think it. All I was was pain and thinking that, you know, I don't know, my leg was going to twist off or something. Um, and then she said, you know, Take, you know, bring your awareness to it as if your awareness was a mother and the pain was her child. And just, just, you know, open to that pain. Just, just be like a mother with that pain. And just that suggestion helped give me some space, both space and compassion, that really helped. Um, and then the thing that just came up that arose in me and myself was here I am in the cycle of suffering. I am in. The, this is part of our human condition. Right now, I'm in the experience of suffering, and I've been very fortunate to have a, a strong body, um, and not, you know, a lot of difficulty with my body. Um, and that awareness just so deeply calmed my mind, you know, because it's the truth. It was the truth that calmed. Me. And it was also the support of a good friend that helped me get there. Yeah? So we all maybe know that famous story of Ananda, the Buddha's faithful servant, who went to him very earnestly and said, Oh Buddha, Lord Buddha, isn't it true that the Sangha is half of the holy life? The Buddha said, No, Ananda, it's not true. And Ananda was chagrined. The Buddha said, it's not true, Ananda. The whole of the holy life is the Sangha. The whole of the holy life. He also said, associate with the wise. And it's better to be alone than be with the unwise. And I've often shared that with people who really are really struggling with trying to leave a difficult relationship, a relationship that's no longer healthy for them or good for them. 
People always say, but what about, you know, I can't get away from people like when I'm at work. You know, I mean, it sounds good, but you can't always remove yourself from difficult people. And that's true. We can't. Um, And we can have compassion for the suffering of the other. We don't necessarily have to be everyone's friend. We can learn to use wise discrimination. Uh, another uh, teacher in this tradition, Kamala, was telling this story about Munindra, a teacher of hers who um, is an Indian man. And she went to visit him, and there was company over. And it was his house. And the company sat, and the guy was talking kind of <laughs> rudely and you know, just going on and on. And Munindra just got up and walked in the other room. He just left. He's left. And then, you know, afterwards, she, and she's, you know, she grew up in a culture where, you know, you just would never do that. And she, you know, asked him about it later, and he said, you know, that was not helpful for my mind and heart. Now, we may not do it that way, you know. <laughs> I probably, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine, but, um, but maybe not. You know, maybe sometime we, have, we can have the courage to... Mm. to give ourselves permission to, to not have to, I don't know, you know, um, subscribe to some social rule that doesn't really serve us. And another thing that's helped me when I can't be remove myself you know, in difficult situations, is, are, is, are the equanimity phrases, things are as they are, or all beings are the owners of their own actions. Their happiness or unhappiness depends upon their actions, not upon my wishes for them. Um, that's been helpful. Loving kindness has been helpful. I work as a therapist, and, you know, there are t- plenty of times that um, I will be sitting in my chair and you can feel how much the other person is wanting me to help them. And there's times it's just, I'm not sure what's right right now. I'm not sure. And so what happens is I just let myself drop into my body, feel what that feels like, and loving kindness arises. It arises for myself and the other person. And then, you know, no problem. No problem. I also have a little um, card that one of my clients gave me. It's on my desk. And it's, it's a quote from the Buddha, and it's um, fall, down eight, fall down seven times, get up eight. And I have it on my desk. I don't have it on the wall <laughs> for my clients. It's for me, um, for them too. But, you know, it's a reminder to me that um, you don't have to be perfect. Nowhere in anything the Buddha said did he say you have to be perfect. This is a really important reminder because so many of us, that's where the struggle of our self-hatred is. We think we're supposed to be other than how we are. And we also think that if we strategize enough or we plan and prepare and do this and do that, that it will change.
things change on their own, and they change on their own due to causes and conditions. So there are causes and conditions of this retreat that have flowered in you, and you can trust that they will manifest all on their own in your life. You can trust that. Without a doubt, you can trust that. You know, wanting them to show up on demand doesn't work. (laughs) But coming into the present moment, what's happening right now, particularly coming into the body, particularly paying attention to what's going on in the body. There's a um, psychiatrist, uh, Bessel van who's done a tremendous amount of research on post-traumatic stress, starting back in the 70s with uh, war veterans. And he uh, wrote an article called The Body Doesn't Lie. And I just love that phrase, you know, the body doesn't lie. We can listen inside what's happening in the body. And some of us are a little more kinesthetically oriented. Like sometimes I'll ask somebody, so what are you feeling in your body? And they'll say, I don't know. You know, so it might be, okay, well, what do you, where, where do you feel anything? Do you feel, can you feel the, can you feel that? Or can you look around the room and see what you're drawn to? Can you rest your attention in something that feels calming? You know, like the hangings on the wall or um, the grass outside, you know, or another person's face. just in the spirit of sangha, how deeply important it is. The whole of the holy life. This is from the Dhammapada. How joyful to look upon the awakened and to keep company with the wise. Follow then the shining ones, the wise, the awakened, the loving, for they know how to work and forbear. But if you cannot find friend or master to go with you, travel on alone, like a king or queen who has given away her kingdom, like an elephant in the forest. If the traveler can find a virtuous and wise companion, let her go with him joyfully and overcome the dangers of the way. Follow them as the moon follows the path of the stars. Somebody translated uh, the teachings of Upandita in a book called In This Very Life, which I highly recommend. Um, as a matter of fact, um, it was Sharon Salzberg, and <coughs> Kate Wheeler helped her with it. And there's something he says in that book that just melted my heart. And what he said, one of the things he said, he said many things, one of the things is, don't be ashamed to have a teacher. Don't be ashamed. You know, whether your teacher is your friend or uh, a formal situation with a teacher or uh, 
someone you really want to be around or have some contact with because you really, really deeply resonate with what they're teaching. Don't be afraid to go after that. It's really important that we can keep company with the wise. You know, I have, I have a lot of dear friends, like so many of us do, and um, there's something particularly precious about every single person, and there's something particularly precious about my friends in the Dharma. Like, I know that I can call Arena. I actually, with also with my partner Judith, too, who's also a practitioner, I know I can count on a wise reflection and, and a heartfelt one, a true loving reflection. Like today, when she said, when I said, made that comment about, oh, we'd all be blah, blah, blah up here, she said, no, that's not true. You know, it, it's like that's, that's the gift of a true friend, like not being afraid to be truthful, you know, in the right situation. You know, you know, and her saying that allowed me to say, you know, just let her, yeah, I, I didn't even, I didn't really believe, I didn't say exactly what I meant, but I didn't, I didn't, it wasn't really true what I said. So what a gift, you know, what a gift to have company with the wise that we can give back and forth to each other. So associating with our, with the wise, with our sangha friends, also our friends can be dharma talks. Marina was talking about something that helps her go deal with uh, insomnia is listening to talks, and you can we'll have there's probably going to be information out on the tables. Um, dharma Seed is a wonderful site. You can you can download a talk or you can streamline a talk, um, and it's just also the our talks will be on that site as well. Um, reading Dharma books, reading poetry that that speaks the truth. Just really to give that to ourselves, even if it's for five minutes, you know, before you go to sleep. The other thing that can be really helpful with practice is actually to have some kind of a regular sitting practice if you can do that. Um, you can, or you can cultivate effort to do that. And oftentimes people say, well, how long? You know, and, you know, you can decide for yourself. You know, if you're able to sit, you know, for a half an hour, some people sit longer. Um, but, you know, five minutes is great. And sometimes, truthfully, for myself, um, sitting is not the only way I do formal practice. Um, it, I, it's... I do it whenever I can. Like if I'm, if you're at a stoplight, you know, and you're sitting there, you kind of like you don't even notice impatience, or more so, just sometimes, just the mind will just go into planning ahead in the future and thinking about things. Come back. You can bring yourself back to feel the feel your hands on the wheel. Notice if there's frustration. See what it's like to actually send some loving kindness to yourself. It's re- it's also really fun to send loving kindness to the people going by in the cars. You know, it's it's. It really brightens the heart and mind. You know, if you're waiting in a line, 
There's so many opportunities to practice, or, you know, or just to feel the body. Like my, uh, my office is on the second floor, so every day I go up and down the stairs a number of times a day. And I just have this, I don't know, it's just in there, in my, that whenever I go up and down the stairs, I, I drop my attention into the contact with the stairs. How long does that take? It's probably like a minute. But it's, it's very refreshing. It really brings, it's like that... Um, Rain is frustrating um, <laughs> clock. <laughs> she doesn't have one here in Oakland, so no. Um, no, I, I, I liked that it actually I could feel the frustration of it because then it's like, oh, what's that about? Oh, I don't, I don't want to stop what I'm saying. I don't want to be interrupted. It's really it doesn't matter. You know, it's not like oh, I should be such a wonderful Dharma practitioner whenever the bell rings every 15 minutes. Oh, yes, you know. It's like, oh, there goes Arena. Oh, we got to stop. But I was talking. (laughs) So having a sense of humor um, is also really helpful. You know, um, when Rob was talking about... uh, (laughs) Grinding out the, the loving kindness. It's just, boy, is that apt. And I, I know times when I've been, you know, thinking, okay, I'm really doing the loving kindness practice, and they hear yourself saying, may, may I be full of suffering. May you be full of suffering. You know? It's just like, okay, I'm really connected with what I'm saying here. So letting yourself be creative, if um, you know, not to get too rigid about, you know, I'm a failure if I don't sit. It's really good if you can, and it's really, I mean, it's really helpful if you can. And you know, if you have a certain place in your house that can be conducive to it, um, even more so if you're living with other people. If you have some agreement, I'm going to go in the room and sit. So could you not disturb me for 20 minutes? And many, many years ago, I remember this woman on a retreat who talked about that she trained her kids that way. And they, she had, you know, kind of latency-age kids, like 8, 10, and 12. And she, um, she told them that for this 20 minutes, you know, she wasn't to be disturbed. And so she really trained them in a way. Uh, she modeled for them taking that time for herself to calm her mind. Yeah, another thing, um, if you have the opportunity, is to spend some time in nature. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, the most, it doesn't have to be spirit rock. I mean, spirit rock is quite extraordinary. But, you know, if there's any place near your home or that you can get to, even again, even if it's for a short amount of time, to just notice nature, it's a wonderful teacher. It teaches us about impermanence, you know, in a complete way. It teaches us about interconnectedness in a complete way. And it teaches us about suffering in a complete way. It's so many of us have spoken about, you know, finding, um, you know, seeing an animal suffering or, you know, if you really look at nature, there's, there's the preyed and the preyed upon. You know, you can really see it um, in nature, you know. It's part of our experience. 
Another thing um, that's helpful to, for me in my practice, when I go to sleep at night, um, I usually, you know, before I go to sleep, and some you've already spoken to this, some of you, is just offer some metta for myself, um, just a wish of may you be, may you be at peace. You know, may you be free from suffering, or whatever phrase you know really floats your boat. You know, not you know, may you win the lottery. You know, <laughs> but um, it's just a helpful way to help the mind and body go to sleep. And also can offer it for others. I mean, you know, I usually start with myself and then, you know, just offer it to all beings. My partner. Or if it's hard to do human beings, you can do, you know, your favorite animal. And also upon waking in the morning. At this point, it sort of comes automatically. So a lot of times people talk about waking up with anxiety. I don't know if any of you have that experience. I know I can go through periods of time where I just wake up with anxiety and it's like just, you know, am I going to get to everything today or blah, 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 whatever it is, or maybe it's from a dream. And that can be a really sweet time to just take, you know, five minutes, three minutes, two minutes um, to just offer oneself some metta and offer, you know, metta for those that we're going to encounter in the day. And you see, you know, both Arena and I, we have different ways of doing it. Sometimes it's just a wish with the bell. Arena talks about inviting at the end of a sitting. It's really a beautiful way to, to connect, um, to remember that we are interconnected, that we're not alone. You know, when we're sitting, sometimes we're in, it's just like, woo, you know, can't wait till this sitting's over, you know. You know? all about me and I'm not doing it right and you know and why bother or um, or oh I have awakened this (laughs) is this is it it's so blissful it's you know I can't there's no words even it's just sublime you know and then here's like can we offer our practice you know for other people like yeah that too Buddha talked about cultivating the skillful, abandoning the unskillful. I mean, we've been talking about this all week. Um, so abandoning greed, hatred, and delusion. So what, you know, not to get overwhelmed by that. It's just, it's common sense. And the most common sense will come from the felt sense in the body. I mean, we know, you know, like if you, if you like when anger arises, we can feel it in our bodies, you know, and one thing that Thich Nhat Hanh often taught was just, you know, count to ten or sit with it for a day before you express it, you know. Is it wrong to express anger? No. But it's really helpful to, if we do need to express our disappointment, our frustration, our irritation, to do it with skillfulness, and the conscious communication practices are very helpful for, with this. But really take some time to sit with it ourselves before it's just out there. And that's true towards ourselves, too. When you hear you know, the, the angry voices, the judgmental voices, yes, they'll come. But you know, you can, those are really good times to offer oneself loving kindness. 
Or, or one of my favorites is, just because this thought is arising in my mind doesn't mean it's true. Kindness, mindfulness, of course, cultivating the skillful, generosity we talked about earlier today. I'm wearing this um, necklace, actually, Irina gave it to me. And um, so whenever, I, and it's, you know, the pieces have fallen off it. It's from Tibet. And uh, I don't even know how long ago you gave it to me. But you probably don't even remember. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, you know, every time I wear it, um, I actually particularly really like it. But every time I put it on, I think about her. You know, so it's a way to just have that connection since she moved to California. <laughs> it really is a joke. I'm happy that she's here. <laughs> um, patience. Buddha said this is one of the most powerful paramis or, or qualities of mind that we can cultivate. And even just to remember, oh, patience. So easy to forget. And it's all, I love it when people say it back to me. You know, it's okay to be patient. You know, because that's that's one that's easy to lose sight of with ourselves. We tend to be harsh, and when when we, I keep talking about ourselves, but in fact, cultivating all these ways of working with ourselves, it just automatically manifests towards the other. I mean, if we can be patient with ourselves, we can be patient with anything. You know, and we're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to forget. We're going to lose insights. So don't worry about it, because it's going to happen. And guess what? They come back. They come back in different forms, in beautiful forms. Like you couldn't even make it up as beautifully as they come back. Another quality, um, skillful quality or... uh, they're called perfections of mind um, to, to cultivate. Um, it's called renunciation. This tends to be uh, not a favorite word in our Western culture. Um, another way to describe renunciation is letting go. You know, one of my... Um, I'll just give you a very powerful example for me. Like I inferred, I my t- personality type tends to go towards the the greed, you know, in, in terms of the, isn't everything fabulous? And, you know, I happened to live in an area that was, this, you know, this always, like, wonderful sort of concerts and lectures and um, films and people and community. And, you know, for a long time, I would be, i just cram in there as much as I could. As a matter of fact, when I turned 50, um, my three of my good friends did a whole parody about you know, Jean and her list of um, <laughs> things that she wants to do, um, lovely things in life. But, you know, the mind can get pretty overwhelmed with it. And my spouse, Judith, um, who a, has a lot of wisdom, she's, you know, she just says, you know what? It's just another experience. It's just another experience. You know, when she first said that, it's like, you know, I don't know about that. And... I've actually, that's been such a refuge for me, if, you know, to really learning to actually let go. And 
let go of the wanting mind and to let go of the delusion that somehow that's what's going to wake me up. That's what's going to bring freedom. And, you know, I, I used to, I was just reflecting on this the other day. In some of my earlier retreats, it was amazing how much the, the belief in the mind that, you know, if I didn't go to every sitting or if I missed like one line that the Dharma teacher said in the Dharma talk, like, I was going to, you know, I really would miss out. I really wouldn't get freedom. And now, that's a lot of suffering. That's a lot of suffering, and it's completely deluded. It's not true. That's all delusion means. It's just not true. So there's a great freedom in being able to say, you know, I don't have to. I don't have to do everything. I don't have to read everything. I don't have to be like somebody else because I can't and we can just let go let go and be nobody wisdom tells me I am nothing love tells me I am everything between the two my life flows remembering our own goodness very very, very helpful. Um, we've both spoken to this. It's um, an arena when she did her whole talk on that. It's really, really helpful. And particularly in those times when it's not forefront in our consciousness, you can just drop it. Okay, drop that in. Okay? You know, one of the helpful teachings is to remember my own goodness. What, what can I remember? Well, nothing. Well, as Zarina suggested the other night, then think about something someone has said about you. And you can also say, you know, just because my mind is rejecting this doesn't mean that the rejection is true. And when we remember our own goodness, we actually remember our other people's goodness as well. And when we can be more patient and forgiving with ourselves, we can be more patient and forgiving with others. Can we bow to the life we are living? You know, no one else can live your life but you. Can we hold open our hands like like a monk or a nun holds a begging bowl and receive this life or just this day or just this morning or just this conversation? just this moment can we understand that life is living through us it's living through us may we have the courage to bow to it to embrace it as best as we can as best as we can and remember sometimes we head for the hills To understand that we're all subject to the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. This is from the Way of Solomon, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. Whatever is given 
you to do. I don't know if this makes a difference, but... I planned that so you could just see how imperfect life is. <laughs> Whatever is given you to do, do it with full attention. Withhold neither body nor mind, but allow life to consume you like a log of flame intended. Give warmth, light, comfort, and fuel, and in the end, leave only ash. For there is neither deed nor planning, neither knowledge nor wisdom in the grave where you are going. Seek not to buy your way out of the grave. Seek only to spend yourself wisely in life. And from Rumi, we all probably know this one, let the beauty of what you love be what you do. There are 100,000 ways to kneel and kiss the ground. And if we don't know what we love, can we trust the not knowing? Can we understand that that not knowing holds the secret to life? Let's sit for a minute. From Mary Oliver. For years every morning I drank from Blackwater Pond. It was flavored with oak leaves and also, no doubt, the feet of ducks. And always it assuaged me from the dry bowl of the very far past. What I want to say is that the past is the past, and the present is what your life is. And you are capable of choosing what that will be, darling citizen. So come to the pond or the river of your imagination or the harbor of your longing and put your lips to the world and live your life. Come to the pond or the river of your imagination or the harbor of your longing and put your lips to the world and live your life. Thank you for listening to the Dhamma. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharma Seed dot org slash donate.